Amen. Thanks, Pete. Look, my um, my watch is broken, so I've got no idea of time. So someone's going to have to let me know when it starts getting dark outside. But I'll probably know when you when you start leaving here, or when the sound goes down. It'll be time for me to wrap it up. So here we go. I don't know if you were here last week, but Ben, Paul, who was here? Who, who actually who missed last week? You got to hear it on. You got to go back to the website to hear Ben. He was awesome. Ben, I just want to thank you so much for, that, for your encouragement. You are an inspirational man. You really are. And uh, sometimes we, we relate p- passion as being a characteristic of the young. But Ben is not only wise, he is also incredibly passionate. And uh, Ben, we want to honour you for your life. And um, we thank you very much. Ben is probably, you're probably the oldest, I don't want to throw anything away here, but you're probably one of the oldest amongst us, Ben, and um, to speak like you did last week was a, was a major blessing. It really was. You know, life is often about making the most of opportunities. There's a story of a sergeant in the New Zealand Army who was travelling by train from Wairu to Wellington on his way to a, a disciplinary hearing, and he was accompanied by a colonel And on the train in the opposite seat was a very stately, statuesque, sophisticated elderly woman. Next to her was her attractive granddaughter. As the train went from Pukurikiri to Pukurua Bay, it entered one of those tunnels. And as it entered the tunnel, there was a sound of a kiss. And then a slap. The granddaughter thinks... Wow, that old buzzard of a colonel, eh? Doesn't take him long. One opportunity of a dark tunnel, he's trying to plant a kiss on my grandmother. But she showed him. She put him right. The grandmother thinks, well, that young sergeant, eh? Imagine that. Coming here and he's trying to get my granddaughter. But she put him right. She, she showed him. The sergeant thinks, what an opportunity. Kiss the back of my hand and then slap the colonel on the face. Dark tunnels uh, are not the only time or the only place for opportunities. And I wonder whether about... You just got it, Bruce. (laughs) I wonder whether about seven weeks ago, some of us saw the start of a new year as an opportunity to make some change. And how many here made a New Year's resolution? How many? Yep, okay. Cool, cool. Well, this morning I want to suggest... I want to suggest another option, another opportunity by where we can make a commitment to make some change. And that is, who is going to fashion or what is going to fashion or mould our life for this year? In other words, who is, are, we, are, we, are we going to be squeezed or are we going to be shaped? You see, our lives continually change. We will not be the same in December this year than we, we are now. We're, we're always changing. We our beliefs change, our opinions change, our aspirations alter and we have different goals. And even our impulses or the way that we react to certain events change. So the challenge this morning is who is going to, or what is going to squeeze or to shape our life. And the person we become at the end of this year or are becoming at the end of this year or indeed five years' time will be determined by what or who we allow to squeeze or shape our life now. 
few weeks ago, well, probably end of last year, I, the last time I spoke, we looked at Romans chapter 12. And remember there we had three principles, if we could, um, yes, thanks Christopher, three principles that would really help us in our, in our Christian walk. In fact, if our life as a follower of Jesus is not all it should be, these three principles will really help us get most of our, out of our Christian walk as possible. The body we give, the life not squeezed, and the mind transformed. We'll just read that passage again, if, if I may. So here's what I want you to do. This is Paul speaking. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, and you're walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fit your attention on God. So what I've done there is I've used three translations or paraphrases to bring out the phrase, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. That's the NIV or the North Island version. The message says don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. J.B. Phillips is don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mould. So let's go back a bit to the first few chapters of Romans. Remember, we've got to revisit that because Paul is saying here, so in view of God's mercies or in, in light of what God has done for you, with consideration with what he's done, this is what I want you to do. First thing is to put your body on the altar. So we've got to go back to the first three, the first three chapters of Romans basically outlines man's condition of sin and of our, of our state universally, being separated from God, how we're all part of a sinking ship. And none of us are immune from that. Chapters 4 to 5 talk about God's solution and how he sent Jesus and, and um, satisfying his, his love and his justice, how Jesus died for us. And of course, I think it's Romans 5 verse 8 says, at just the right time, Christ came and gave his life for us. And so with open arms of, of faith, we receive God's gift. And those, those chapters open up the whole, the whole truth of God's grace. Chapters 5 to 7 talk about the struggle we have kind of becoming Christ-like in our, in our walk. And we've got this old man or the old woman inside that's wanting to do and live the old life. And yet there's a part of us that wants to live the new life. And Paul talks about that struggle and uses the analogy of a slave. And he says, you know, if, you, if, your master, if your master, as a slave, if your master is dead, you, don't, you no longer have to serve that master. And so he talks about sin or the old life as being dead. And then chapters 8 to 11, Paul is basically saying God's got it all under control. Chapter 8 is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. And it's bookmarked, of course, the start of it by saying that there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Bookmark at the end is that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Isn't that good? Nothing can separate us. And between this, Paul talks about the, the hope that there is for our, our universe. The world is in control. God's got it all sorted out. That all creation, if you like, is on tiptoe, waiting for the sons of man to be revealed and that we will have a part to play in the restoration of this universe. And it takes us back to Genesis 1, doesn't it? Where we've been called to have dominion. And dominion does not mean dominate. It means to steward and look after and to serve. 
And so there's some wonderful truths in there about, about what God has for us and about what God has for this world. And so in chapter 12, Paul starts off by saying, this is what God's done. Now I want, to know, I want you to do this. So the first thing is we lay our body on the altar. And it's not just our life, it's our body. It's our feet and our legs. It's where we walk. It's the things that we do with our hands. It's what we speak with here. It's the rubbish we listen to or can listen to with our ears. We, don't, we no longer become a receptacle for other people's rubbish. We give our body. That goes on the altar. And our body, of course, when you, when you, as a living sacrifice, you can walk off the altar at any stage. So then he comes to what we're looking at this morning, and that is don't be squeezed into the mould that, that this world would squeeze us into, or don't be fashioned, or don't, don't be conformed to the image or to the pattern of this world. And that's a caution, it's a warning. Okay? It's, we're not to do it, not to be conformed, not to be squeezed into the mould. Two words that we'll really, we need to grapple with in order to understand this, this passage the first word is the word conform. And the word conform means it's a pattern. It's a, from, it's a Greek word from which we get our word schematic or plan. It's a, a direct imitation of. In other words, it's the pattern from where something is produced that looks exactly like the original. And so Paul is saying, don't look like the world you live in. Don't let that be a pattern Excuse me, for your life. Second word we've got to, got to work through is the word world. And it's not the Greek word cosmos, it's a word that's spelled A-I-O-N, ion. And that means the age or the culture in which we live. In other words, don't let the age or the culture in which you live be the pattern for how your life is produced. All right, Richard Trench was a, an English uh, linguist and he's an Anglican minister, and he said this. Bad light up here, or is it just my eyesight? He said, Aeon includes all the thoughts, opinions, speculations, impulses, aspirations present in the world at any given time. Which may or may not be impossible, which may be impossible to accurately define, but which still constitute real and effective power. The moral or immoral atmosphere that we breathe. In other words, this, this ion, this world in which we live, this atmosphere, is a real and effective power that influences the world. Because we're breathing it, because we live in it, it's it forms who we are, okay? Let me explain. Let me explain that. Well, guess what, an atmosphere, if you go to the Thai, how many have been to the Thai restaurant at the north end of my part? There's an atmosphere that's created in there, right? There's hangings on the wall, there's, you know, there's um, statuettes or figurines, thank you, Peter, and there's, there's stuff that's happening in that restaurant, um, costumes that the staff wear, that reflect the culture of Thailand, right? An atmosphere is created. Now, if you go down to Queensgate, there is an atmosphere at Queensgate. I've talked about Queensgate before. You know that I... Look, I've got nothing against Queensgate. It's no worse than any of the other malls that Satan has made. <laughs> but 
fact, I, I went there. I went there a few weeks ago. I had to go there. I bought a new pair of trousers. Nice. And thank you, thank you. And I didn't sit in one of those seats. You know, I, I took my own advice there because, you know, I've, sat and I've seen men sitting in those seats on the concourse, old men with cobwebs hanging off them. They weren't old. They weren't old when they sat down, but they were old, they were young when their when their wives put them there. So their wives could go shopping. Shocking. People die in those chairs, you know. Anyway, but there was an atmosphere created at at, the, at Queensgate or in any mall, you know, an atmosphere that appeals to our, you know, buy this. You look younger. You look thinner. You look sexy. You know. And it appeals to our pride and to our, to our, you know, to our, what we want in life. In fact, it's, it appeals to our, for us to consume. Even if we don't end up consuming, there's an appeal, there's an atmosphere created. And we can be tempted to spend money we don't have on things that we don't need. How many of us, I'll ask, I won't just ask the ladies, but how many of us, guys as well, have been shopping at Queensgate or another mall and gone home with something we didn't go down there for? Right. You've been enticed. You've been seduced. There's an atmosphere that's created. Okay. Right, I digress. Sometimes the institutions in our culture also have their own atmosphere. Universities have an atmosphere, don't they? An atmosphere that can, when, when we live there, when we breathe its culture, it can actually change how we believe, shift our opinions, shift our worldview, and it's an atmosphere that we breathe. And that is the first step to being squeezed. And the atmosphere we, li- we, we live in means that we fit into this culture and without even thinking. It's the first step in how we are squeezed. Then we can lose sight of reality. We can sometimes fail to see things as they really are. It's the story of an English seaman who retired to the Northern Lakes District of England and started a canoe hire business. And one day he was out on the jetty, a squall had come up, the, the wind had risen, the, seas were, the, the lake was really rough, and he was calling the canoes in. And he noticed one canoe right down the end of the lake and um, he kind of squinted a bit, got his megaphone out and said, canoe number 91, number 91, come in please. 91, come in. His mate was standing next to him on the jetty and he nudged him and he says, but sir, he says, we've only got 20 canoes. And he gets his megaphone and he's he's squinting through his his, um, binoculars, looks again and, uh, canoe number 16, are you in trouble? Number 16, are you in trouble? (laughs) And sometimes the atmosphere can cause us to lose sight of reality. We fail to see things as they really are, and the upside down can appear to be the right way up. Isn't that right? And that's how the world squeezes us into its mould. So we can become so immersed in our, in our atmosphere and the atmosphere of the culture that we fail to see things as they really are, and the opinions, the beliefs, and all the, the, it can be so convincing that we sometimes think that the wrong side up is the right way, and it's not. So what is the world's mold? What is the world's pattern? What, is, what are some of the areas that we can be, we can be so kind of pressured or, or we can begin to 
um, breathe in and start to uh, kind of adhere to that thinking without even giving it a lot of thought. What are some of the beliefs and opinions that can pressure us? What constitutes the atmosphere of our culture that we just fit into it without even thinking? Or, or putting it another way, um, how, many of you, how many of you have felt squeezed in the last few weeks? Anybody? In other words, in what way has the culture pressured you? Anybody? Does the, does, has the culture pressured you? Have you felt kind of a pressure or a squeezing of this world, this atmosphere around us that would kind of really, um, I guess, chip away at what we know is right underneath? Anybody? Look, I'll give you an example. I was looking on Trade Me last week for some stuff for work, some scaffolding, and I noticed a, a really bright, shiny, nice flash car come up and I flicked on it. And the heading was, this is a head turner. In other words, if you buy this, you drive this, people are going to look at you. And that appeals to envy, doesn't it? Pride, you know. What else, what else could we be pressured or, or start to be squeezed into? Any, any idea? Anyone else? <laughs> what? Body image? Yep. And that comes a lot with advertising too, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. What's that? You guys wouldn't know this, but what's that um, That makeup ad that says, because you're worth it or something like that? Don't fight. Go, no, don't fight, girls. Don't fight. Yeah, but, but because you're worth it. It's kind of a pride thing, isn't it? What other way? What other way can we be squeezed? What other way can we be squeezed? Come on. Think, think a bit. What other way? Body image, you know, pride, envy. Advertising, yeah. Yep. Yeah, Ron. Right. Okay. Yep. So our culture tries to squeeze it. Can I can I suggest can I suggest a couple of others that there, there are obviously some moral issues where for any church is kind of a hot potato and might be good to talk about that one day, but not today. But can I suggest one area? One area is me. You know, our culture says that I'm the most important. I'm number one, right? It's all about me. It's about my rights. It's about what gives me pleasure. It's about my pride, what's, what, about what makes me feel good. It's about, it's about me. Um, Greek mythology, in Greek mythology, this Narcissus was the character who looked into the water and saw his own reflection and became, became so engrossed or infatuated by his, the image of himself that he devoted the rest of his life to his reflection. And depending what story we read on that, it ultimately killed him. So it's about me. It's, it's a, I'm number one. And we even, instead now, of, of we don't do photos of gorgeous landscapes by themselves. We have to put ourselves in there as it becomes a selfie, doesn't it? It's about me. We become the centre of not just our world, but we become the centre of the world, you know. And, you know, now you can actually marry yourself. 
you can be some you can become so infatuated with your own reflection and in love with yourself you can marry yourself crazy i mean i know it would would solve some issues about having your in-laws at the wedding i know that but <laughs> but but how do you deal with some of the problems like Who's taken the Who's taken the um, rubbish out this week? Oh, me? No, no, me. Oh, no, no, I don't know. Am I Am I getting older? Or is that world getting crazy? Can you marry yourself? I mean, I don't know. Apparently, I read this week that Lady Gaga proposed to herself. How do you do that? Look in the mirror. Will you marry me? Um, <laughs> you know, I don't know. Crazy. Another area that we can, that I think is an area that we're squeezed is what we, what we treat as being of value to us. You know, am I, what, what we sign up for, what we give our life to, what, what do we invest in, what, what resource and energy do we put into the most precious thing in our life? What are we willing to commit our life for? What are we willing to climb on the altar, if you like, and give our life to? And so if... If that's the way that we, those are some of the ways that we are squeezed, what, is, what are some of the ways in which we should be shaped? What is, actually, I've just come across a, um, a quote by historian Christopher Lush, and he says this about narcissism. He says, we've become the culture of narcissism. It's the new religion, it's about me. We don't want religion unless it offers personal therapy and massages me. We can love ourselves so much, be infatuated with ourselves so much, all we're interested in is me. So if the understanding or the, or the kind of the squeezing we have about me and about our values, and that's one of the ways that we are squeezed and we become conditioned by the culture that we live in, if that is the warning not to be conformed or not to be squeezed into the world's mould, what is the way that we should be shaped? Now, in Romans 12 and verse 1 and 2, it goes into don't, uh, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I don't want to go there this morning because I want to go back to chapter 8 where it uses the word conform or shape. And have we got that on there? Yeah. Okay. I'll read it. I'm sorry we're running out of time, but I've got some stuff. I think we've got to kind of hit this. Um, God knew he were, what he was doing from the very beginning. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those, get that word? Shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. The sun stands first in the line of humanity he restored. And we see the original and intended shape of our lives in, in him. Once again, I've put that on there in three, three versions here. You can read that. And, um, and so the shape of our lives in him is, is, is the message. Okay. So if we look at those, those two areas in which I said we can be squeezed, and that is our perception of who we are and us being important, our, you know, our prominence and our status and everything else. What is, what is Jesus, the in, original and intended shape of our lives, say about that? Well, he doesn't say a lot about me being important. 
In fact, when Jesus talked to his disciples in, at the, uh, during the, the Last Supper in John 13, he says, I've got a new commandment for you. Now, I can imagine the disciples thinking, oh, no, we've already got 613 commandments. There's another one coming through. But he said, the new commandment I've got for you is one that will actually supersede many of the other commandments that you, that you have to obey. And it's this. I want you to love one another just as much as I have loved you. And previously, he'd just been washing the disciples' feet. And he's saying, allow that to be a pattern for the life, for the love that you have for one another. One of servitude, of love. It's not about me. It's about others. It's about you first. It's, I'm in the background. It's about you. It's about your good at my expense. It's about you, even if it costs me. The problem with our culture is that we've made, we've made love a noun. And Dating apps haven't helped that. Apparently, you can swipe. You know, apparently, you swipe a dating app, don't you? For a, you know, and you you can find love, right? So we can find love like we find a lost sock, you know. And you can fall into love like you fall into a hole in the road, you know, or you fall out of love like you fall out of a tree, <laughs> or you make love like you make a cake, you know. But love is not a noun, love is a verb. And Jesus reinforced that when he washed the disciples' feet and then he said, this is a pattern for how to live. Love one another, just as I have loved you. And when we explore the life of Jesus, his teachings, how he lived, how he responded to people and how he gave his own life, we see the pattern for the word love and what it means about me. It's your good at my expense, if necessary. What does he say about values? What does it say about what's important in life? Let's, um, have I got another five minutes? Is that okay? Yep. He says, don't hoard treasure down here where it gets eaten by moths and corroded by rust or worse, stolen by burglars. Stockpile treasure in heaven where it's safe from moth and rust and burglars. It's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is, is the place where you will most want to be and you will end up being. We know that last part is where your treasure is, your heart will be there also. And I think that's the last slide. Right, it is. We've all seen a... How many of us have done treasure hunts as a kid, you know, or or seen the pirate movie where the treasure map is a kind of a discoloured piece of paper with frayed edges, you know, and X marks the spot doesn't it, where the treasure is. And the point is, where X is, the treasure, is exactly where your heart is, where your passion is, what, and where you will end up being. And so the treasure, if it's kind of a temporary thing, it's, it's not worth pursuing. And the question then is asked, do we, do we treasure the things of God and his kingdom? And what Jesus has done for us and what we can do for him, more than the temporary things of life, which can be taken away. You know, when I, when I get placed in a wooden box and put in the back of a black shiny station wagon and get driven to Akatera Cemetery, there will not be a trailer being pulled behind with all my stuff in it. No, it'll just be me. And maybe a few teary-eyed people in cars following, maybe. 
I hope so. But it's just me. A hearse, you've never seen a hearse with a tow bar, right? It's just, it's just me. So what am I giving my life to? So this morning, my challenge is, are we going to be squeezed or shaped? Are we going to be squeezed by the culture of this world? Or are we going to allow the Jesus of the Gospels to shape our life? And I want to encourage you to read the Gospels. Because when you read the Gospels and you're confronted with this God-man and what he says about life and how he lived and how he responded to people, what he said about love, how he loved, that will radically change our lives. That's my challenge for this year. Choose to be squeezed or shaped. Now, if you neglect to make a choice, by default, you will be squeezed. That's what will happen. The air that we breathe, the atmosphere that we're in will end up, our culture will just, will just fit into it without even thinking. And that'll be the mould that we're squeezed into. But we need to make an active choice of saying, God, I want to be shaped by you. If you've never, <coughs> if you've never made a commitment to follow Christ, if you've never made a decision that he is the one that you want to shape your life and you've never started that journey, the reason that this is really important is that the squeezing or the shaping of your life is not just about influence and it's not just about control, but ultimately it's about ownership. Who is going to own you? Who is going to own your life? Is it going to be you with the, the, uh, the ins- insufficient knowledge you have about living and, or the culture that really does not know where it's going and is so self-centred? Or is it going to be the one who knows the original and intended shape of your life? So I want to encourage you this morning, if you've never made that commitment to follow him, to do so. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we can come to you as the mighty God, the King of Kings. You're the, you're the, you're the one who rides the heavens. You're the, you're the one who gave the beasts their roar and the flowers their fragrance and the birds their song. You're the great God. And yet we come to you, we acknowledge that, but we're also in your presence because you're our Father and you love us intensely. There is, there is nothing you want more for us than to be shaped according to the image of your Son, to be patterned after you. And so, Lord, we just want to commit our lives again afresh at the start of this year to say, God, shape us. Shape us into the intended and original shape of our lives. And we pray that as we do that, not only will we see the, good, the goodness of God imparted to us, but also become a vessel through which your love and your goodness can flow to others as well. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.